country of generosity and warmth. But we will also be a country of law and order. That was Donald J. Trump giving his acceptance speech last night at the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. Good day to you. I'm Laura Weber Davis. Thanks for joining Detroit Today. I'm also co-hosting with Chuck Wilbur, former WDET news director and longtime public policy consultant. He's been here with us most of the week. Chuck, thanks so much for being here. Hey, it is great to be with you, Laura. It's been a, it's been a really interesting week, and I'm glad that you were sitting here with me. Trump's one hour and 15 minute stem winder was the longest speech in more than a generation and painted a grim picture of America, a picture he promised to rectify. And here's a cut of that. Beginning on January 20th of 2017, safety will be restored. Trump's law and order speech will either become famous or infamous, depending on the outcome of the general election in November. So what did you think of his address last night? If you're still an undecided voter, did Trump sway you in any direction? 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. We'll be taking your calls all hour. So after a week of turmoil from the Republican National Convention in Cleveland, how did the presidential nominee, uh, Donald Trump, do with his acceptance speech? here to help us suss it out is John Truscott. He is the president of Truscott Rossman uh, in Lansing. He's also the former press secretary to Governor John Engler. John, welcome to the program. Good morning, Laura. Hi, Chuck. Hey, good morning, John. Uh, So, John, you know, we just heard uh, Donald Trump saying that on January 20th, we were all going to be safe again. Um, But the other night, Eric Trump, his son, said that his father was going to make America great again ahead of schedule. So I just want to know, are we going to actually be safe by January 19th? (laughs) Well, you know, I I think in a a classic speech sense, um, he was obviously hitting on some themes that that people are concerned about, things that you you do the polling and and kind of gaps in where we are as a country right now. But, um, you know, when you go on that long, it's pretty tough to keep people's attention. Uh, I was laying there in bed going, am I going to be able to go to sleep yet? I'm really tired, <laughs> right. and I have to be up really, really tough. When you look at the timing, and the, I, I think overall it was an opportunity missed. I think there were mm. some things that, that hit with Republicans in there and, and can attract some independents, but overall was lost in the length and uh, probably lack of style. Uh, or, sure. or classic speech style as far as that goes. You know, that's interesting. This morning we were talking in the office about how it sort of missed um, uh, basic tenets of uh, English majorism, if you will, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. for a turn of phrase, sort of a beginning, middle, and end. It covered a, a lot of territory, but it didn't necessarily have themes that were reoccurring aside from law and order that um, sort of drew an arc, if you will, in a speech. Yeah, and I thought, you know, one of the things, he got to the end, and, and one, he kind of, I thought, stepped on several natural ending points that would have ended at a high point, but he started talking about his parents and his upbringing, mm-hmm. and I thought, that's the sort of thing you, you start your speech with in terms of painting a picture of who you are and where you came from, since this is probably the major introduction uh, to most voters uh, who might be watching. I thought his kids did a much better job painting the picture uh, in terms of who he is, where he's from, and what he's about, than he did himself. So um, I did think that in in a speech, traditional speech style, it was jumbled up. 
Yeah, John, the New York Times tried to look at the speech in an analysis piece and summed it up with these kind of phrases. Um, It was Donald J. Trump's best chance to escape his own caricature. He did not. Do you think that's a fair summation? Uh, I I think it's fair. And all I could think of with with both of our candidates who are kind of prone to yell at the audience, I thought, what a great Saturday Night Live skit. (laughs) Both candidates just screaming at the camera. Yeah. Yeah, I I just, I didn't, though, get the sense that it turned people off who are already his supporters or people who maybe were leaning that way but weren't convinced. I I had the feeling, um, based on, you know, actually just my social media feed, the people who I uh, am connected to who are Republicans and sort of died in the wool... uh, as far as being there, being a delegate, being supportive of a Donald Trump candidacy, we're really excited about the speech last night and felt like finally somebody is addressing the concerns of the everyday American. Well, and I think there is some of that, and that's why his campaign has been successful in, in walking him into the nomination. He has hit on things that people are concerned about that haven't been addressed by by other candidates, uh, Republican or otherwise. So there is something there that he, he has touched a raw nerve, but I, I think in terms of reaching a broader audience and reaching independents and people kind of looking for for something to vote for, I think he missed the boat on that one. How does how does Donald Trump go forward? If you if you're running Donald Trump's campaign, John, how does he go forward and reconcile even within a single speech um, saying he's going to make America great for all Americans and safe for all Americans, and we're going to you know, do right by everybody, but then, you know, within the, a couple sentences say, I love defeating people. Doesn't it feel so good to to do away with people or whatever the phrase was he used at the time? It was essentially this idea of squishing his his competitors and, and making people feel small, but those are Americans too. How do you, if you're a campaign manager or, or trying to control that message, um, reach out to the broader swath of people that Donald Trump is trying to appeal to by saying he's going to make things right for all Americans? Well, I think in in terms of defeating people in that type of fighting type message, you'll hear candidates all the time talking about fighting for you. I think you need to draw the distinction of who you're fighting against and why, uh, because there there are uh, some things in society always that, that frustrate people and that they they want to do something different. So it's telling the story better uh, at that point in terms of what we're going to do. But I, I really think the debate is where everybody will be focused. And he has to show substance. He has to show knowledge of the issues, depth of the issues. That's where I think Hillary Clinton and her experience will be uh, to her advantage just because she's been there. So it's much easier for her to know the history and, and talk about that. People will be looking for Trump to talk substance and and show knowledge and depth and and that's going to be a really really tough challenge for him you're listening to detroit today i'm laura weber davis co-hosting with chuck wilbur our guest is john truscott president of truscott rossman he is also a former press secretary to governor john engler we want to hear from you did you stay up for the speech last night uh are you an independent voter who's still undecided or maybe you were swayed last night by the speech if you're a bernie sanders supporter and we're really disappointed when he finally pulled out of the primary process and are not sold on Hillary Clinton. 
Were you bought by the message that uh, Donald Trump delivered last night that Bernie Sanders supporters should come into his camp, that he is going to make things right for Bernie Sanders supporters? 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. Give us a call. John, the Trump campaign had a challenge to take this force of nature that Donald Trump has been throughout the primary side of the campaign and make it appear to be at least a tad more presidential. Did they succeed in doing that last night? Um, Maybe with a small sliver of the audience, but but not overall. Um, You know, I I look at what what I was looking for in in the speech was somebody who connected – kind of a smoother delivery, soaring rhetoric. Um, and I realize I'm not your typical voter, um, but I thought that they missed that opportunity to really draw people in who are looking for a reason to vote for somebody. I mean, you have to start from the standpoint, we've got the two most unlikable candidates we've had, at least in our lifetime, if not uh, in a longer history. So people are looking for a reason to connect and and. I, I just think he missed that. The, the style of yelling, um, I just I think, is over the top. It may connect with a small uh, subsection of the audience, but I don't think it gets at the people, those middle-of-the-road independent voters who are not going to be paying attention to politics until after Labor Day, and, and how do you draw them in? And this t- sort of speech didn't do it. I don't think it's too late for him to connect with those people. But he missed an opportunity in that. He seemed to do better with a teleprompter than we've seen him in other situations. Yeah, um, and, and I think at least he gets out the message that he's trying to get out uh, in a fashion that he, um, I guess, is him. But when you look at how, what a great job his kids did, speaking from the prompter, their style, um, the substance that was in their speeches, I, I think he could take a lesson from them. Uh, and his running mate, I think, Mike Pence. Yeah, Mike. Mike Pence is a really skilled uh, politician. Uh, he's been in Congress. He, you know, governor's office. He's well liked uh, by a lot of people. So it doesn't surprise me that he speaks well and and shows up well and things like that. And uh, but you know, nobody votes for the vice president. They're voting for the top of the ticket. So. That, that will somewhat get lost. Yeah. John, I know there's a tendency to focus on the speech because it is kind of the big moment that the candidate faces in any national political convention, but it's also the end of the convention. So I'm curious how you see it now that we've reached the end of this four-day extravaganza. Did Donald Trump get the convention he needed this week? You know, I think he did from the perspective of I don't remember so much news coverage on a convention uh, in the last 20 or 30 years. So, I mean, it was dominant uh, in terms of all of the, Every time I turned on the radio, they were talking about the convention and the news coverage. I, I thought the media did a wonderful job covering this, and I think part of it is, well, Trump's so unpredictable, we have to be there just in case. Uh, so I, I really give kudos to the media for the coverage of this. I, I don't know if it'll be uh, as robust for the Democratic convention, but I thought from the perspective of getting his name out there, talked about issues and things like that, I thought he definitely got what he needed. He'll get a slight bump out of it as a result. And then Hillary next week with the Democratic Convention will wipe that bump out. And then it's off to November, off to the races. We also had voices, though, that I can't recall in any any recent convention. Um, you know, you have people saying uh, David Brooks, you know, the Republican Party died at this convention, you know, um, 
So how does how does the Trump campaign cope with that? Uh, I don't know if it died, but it dramatically changed. Um, as a lot of people were talking this morning, you have a Republican candidate, a businessman, not talking business issues. Uh, and I think that's uh, an interesting observation. Um, oh, that's a good point. I mean, it was interesting. If you recall four years ago, Mitt Romney was criticized to some degree by how much he talked about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial activity at the convention. I don't think there was a single mention, certainly not from Donald Trump, but I don't even know if there was another voice at the convention that spoke about entrepreneurs. Yeah, it really was. And I think part of it is, you know, the, the public's focus right now is primarily on national security. Um, in, in a broader sense, it's always on the economy, but um, that, it's, you know, everybody talks about it. So what's new uh, as far as that's concerned? So I think that the talk about defense security and the fact, you know, we may be playing to, you, you look at how national issues really turn an election, and President Obama won because the McCain campaign really botched when the stock market fell apart, and it was a national security issue, or excuse me, an economic issue at that point that everybody was concerned about. Obama did a great job dealing with it. Obama, um, McCain botched it. So do we have that sort of issue that will likely be a national security issue happen before the election that kind of turns things, and we see how the candidates react on that? So that's, you know, it may be prescient that they're kind of talking about that now, and then in October, something national happens that, that really turns our attention or plays to our fears. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Laura Weber-Davis, joined by Chuck Wilbur, co-hosting this week. We're also joined by John Truscott of Truscott and Rossman. We want to hear your calls. What did you make of the convention this past week or Donald Trump's speech specifically? 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Also, if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter or if you're sitting on the fence having a tough time deciding which way you're going to go, we want to hear from you. Uh, first, let's talk to Elaine in Southfield. Elaine, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Uh, what, um, would, what, do you what do you think about the speech? Well, my point was that I don't think, as a Bernie Sanders supporter, mm-hmm. um, I also want to point out that Bernie Sanders has not dropped out of the primary process. Well, wouldn't you say, for all intents and purposes, if he is if he is putting his support behind Hillary Clinton, that is uh, ostensibly dropping out of the race? No. Okay. How do you explain? What, what's your reasoning behind that? As soon as she got declared the national presumptive candidate, he really had no choice if he wanted to continue to participate, but to put his support behind the presumptive nominee. But she does not have enough delegates to be the nominee. He is still uh, has a chance. So you're saying that this could potentially the Democratic convention could turn into uh, as much of a mess on the floor as we uh, were anticipating the Republican convention well, could be. Well, considering that there's been a considerable amount of uh, flimflamming going on, yes. But I do wanted to also say that there isn't much that Mr. Trump could say to make me support him. Okay. I will continue to support Bernie as long as he is viable, and um, and then and know, then what if he is not? I'll never vote for Trump. Okay, so so by say I've heard a lot of people say that about Hillary Clinton as well. You know, I'll never vote for Hillary, but they won't necessarily say I would vote for Donald Trump. Is, is it something that you would hold your nose and vote for a major party candidate, or would you more strongly consider maybe a third party? Well, my consideration is that we really need to have someone run this nation, and the way the politics works in this country. If you don't support a major party candidate, 
you are going to toss votes one way or another. Right. Okay. Well, and Elaine, thank we've you. We've had that experience in the past, and we don't need to toss any votes to Trump. I will put that. Uh, Elaine, thank you so much for your phone call. I appreciate it. John, before we take some more calls, I, I just want to ask, do you anticipate a messy Democratic convention? Certainly, it, it's going to run a line of a more traditional convention than this past week. Um, but how about that political messiness? No, I don't think so. I mean, Democrats have this buttoned up pretty well. Um, I think it'll be a very orderly uh, convention, very well run. You won't have a Ted Cruz-type situation where you have a speaker where you don't know what you're going to say. I think everybody falls in the line at this point, and it's a very traditional convention. Okay. Uh, we have Keith from Royal Oak. Keith, welcome to the program. Hi there. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, I'm a Sanders supporter and uh, kind of wanted to follow along with the lady that previously. I wouldn't vote for Trump on a bet, and that speech to me was just one of the most terrifying speeches I've heard from a, a potential national leader in, in, I just can't even say, it's just terrifying in years. What aspect of it made it feel terrifying to you, Keith? So, the, where do you start? The racism, the xenophobia, the uh, fear-mongering, the, uh, the, and the list just goes on. I mean, th- those are the big three. It, it the, the the absolutely insane idea of putting up a wall. The uh, but the, that, but there there were also those sort of overlaps with some of the messages that we've heard from the Democratic camp. I mean, some of it came from Ivanka Trump or other um, uh, other uh, his other children as well in their speeches. But Donald Trump trying to reach out to the Bernie Sanders uh, supporters by saying, you know, we got to work on a trade deal, got to get better trade deal. Did that appeal to you in any way? Not the way Donald Trump wants to go about it, because sure. it's fundamentally going to bankrupt the, 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 the U.S. economy the way he wants to approach it. The way he approaches things is this big puffed up chest bullying tactic, which He's got to learn the rest of the world doesn't capitulate to. Sure. And, he, you know, I mean, it, it, he just can't conduct business like that on the national and on the international stage. It, it's just not realistic. All right. Keith, thank you for your call. Appreciate it. Uh, yes, Chuck. John, it seems like with any party convention, one of the big issues is unity. And as you mentioned, the Democrats probably have this all wrapped up in those terms for next week. But on the Republican side, it seemed like to me that there were two unity problems that the Trump folks had. They had unity with the what we might call the Ted Cruz right of the party. And with the selection of Mike Pence and then with the exception of Cruz himself, it seems like they solved that problem at the convention. Is that your sense? I think for the most part it is. Um, I think for those Cruz supporters who were kind of out there and, and not unified, I I thought Cruz really shot himself in the foot with the way he handled it. I and mean, at some point, you, as a member of whether it's a Democratic or Republican party, you do unify. It's not like he has to go on the campaign trail with him, but you, you'd still say, you know, he's our nominee, I'll support him. So I, I think a lot of the, the Cruz supporters probably were looking at the guy that they liked for the nominee, and, and he botched it. So that probably brings them a little easier over to uh, Trump's side. Mm-hmm. You know, I still think there are some very traditional uh, Republicans who 
you know, may hold their nose or may just kind of walk away and not vote at all. Yeah, so that's I, what I, I, still, I still think Trump has a problem with that. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about. The second unity problem was that, unity with what we might think of as the Mitt Romney establishment of the party. The for bu- we did not see the term. Bushes. We didn't see John McCain, who is campaigning fair enough in, in Arizona, and we didn't see... Uh, Mitt Romney or anybody of that ilk at this convention. Nor do we see John Kasich, you know, the governor of the host state. And it struck me as as really significant that here we have Ohio, the state that's defined most frequently as the key to a Republican victory. And the head of the Republican Party in Ohio is the governor of that state. And the campaign found a way to pick a fight with him at the convention. That strikes me as one of the big the, the, the takeaways from this that we've kind of lost in the, in the wake of the Ted Cruz sure. conflict. And I think that's a big problem. I mean, not having John Kasich, who really had broad reach across party lines when he ran uh, in Ohio, has been a really spectacular governor. Um, the fact that he's not there, uh, I think, is a big problem in one of the most crucial states in the country. So we'll we'll see if if Trump does try to reach out if McCain does or is uh, if uh, uh, Casey does come on board. But I think that's a big problem down the road. Let's go back to the phones here. Chuck is in Farmington Hills. Chuck, welcome to the program. Hi. So what do you think? Well, I think you guys kind of missed the point. You know, it, I don't think he's really trying to unify the party because it, it seems like it's an insurmountable thing to do. I think what he's doing is he's painting a picture of all of Hillary's uh, problems. And when it comes to when you're standing in the voting booth, would you be able to vote for her? Or would you vote for Trump just because she's so corrupt? Hmm. And I think that's what's going to happen. You know, these Republicans that say they're, you know, they can't vote for him, but when they're standing in the voting booth, you know, and they're looking at corrupt Hillary or Donald Trump, I think, they're going to end up hitting the Donald Trump button. All right, Chuck, thank you for the call. I, You know, I have been mulling that over, um, Chuck, in my studio, <laughs> uh, mulling that over quite a bit. I wonder if we would, could see some record low turnout just based on a lack of interest in uh, or lack of enthusiasm for your candidate. Well, it's been a long time since we've seen third-party candidates tracking as high in the polls at this stage in the election cycle than we're seeing this year with Gary Johnson of the Libertarian Party uh, into double digits. Now, yep. if he can stay in double digits, he's going to be a real force in that election. Yep. All right, let's take one more f- phone call before we wrap up here. Although we're going to take calls all hour, so keep calling, 313-577-1019. Tracy is in Detroit. Tracy, welcome to the program. Hi. So what did you think? Um, I want to make it clear that I'm a diehard Hillary supporter, and I'll be voting for her in November. But I watched the whole speech, and I thought it was brilliant. Okay. And given, his, given his target audience, he was able to get them on their feet and applauding, giving ovations while he espoused democratic ideals. Right. Um, he spoke against homophobia. He spoke against sexism. He spoke against the, uh, 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 toward the need for speaking up for the poor over and over and over. He fed them democratic ideals, and they were on their feet applauding. That, that's a and, really interesting point, Tracy. Yeah, th- thank you for the call. John, I want to get your reaction before we uh, go to a quick break here. Uh, that was a really interesting aspect, the sort of the intangible, not the substance of the speech, necessarily, but the reaction to it. I mean, his speech kind of shored up his base 
that he's had all along. But it was really interesting that he was able to also get them to be so enthusiastic about things that were pretty much contrary to the party platform that was put into place earlier in the week. What did you make of that? Uh, I, I think that's a great point, and I think it's uh, a signal that the party is changing. I don't think that we know exactly where things are going uh, overall, and maybe it'll return more to an overall kind of domestic agenda, domestic economic agenda. But to, to be introduced by somebody or your previous speaker talk about uh, proud to be gay and things like that. These right. are things you wouldn't have heard from the Republican Party in the past. So we'll see where it's going, but there are changes coming. Yeah, that's really interesting. One of the best reactions I read on social media after the speech was from a reporter over at Cranes Detroit who said, uh, now when are we going to hear the Republican response to this speech? So, <laughs> <laughs> John Truscott from Truscott Rossman in Lansing, thank you as always for joining us. I, I love My getting pleasure. your reaction. I appreciate it. All right, we'll see you. See thank you, talk. John. All right, coming up next, we'll get the Democratic response to Trump's speech. Congressman Sander Levin will join us in studio next. And keep those phones ringing, 313-577-1019.